Uh, my name is Lynn. I'll be your host today, as always. And as always, my co-host is here, Eric. Introduce yourself, Eric. Hi, I'm the unapologetic geek. And I'm just Lynn. So we're going to continue our trek into Sandman. And then we're going to talk about Star Trek. Actually, it's the other way around. Uh, <laughs> look, I know I'm really confusing. There are timestamps below. We're going to talk about the two Star Trek show, Picard and Strange New Worlds, very quickly. Um, and then we're going to talk about Sandman episode 7 to 11, because when we were dividing these up <laughs> into <laughs> three, three and four episode blocks, there was no episode 11. Netflix surprised the hell out of us. Yeah, I don't think they've ever done that before. It's like, pretty not cool. That I know of. Yeah. Before we get into all the juicy Sandman stuff, let's talk about two very different Star Trek shows. Let's start with Picard. Okay. Because you have to eat your vegetables before you get your dessert. <laughs> I'm going to let you go first because yeah, you have fine. more of a history with um, Next Generation. Yeah. And look, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I liked it more than season one. Um, yes. Because I actually watched this one. Season one, I stopped halfway through. Yeah. And season... I couldn't bring myself to actually go back and watch it before season two. So I just watched like YouTube videos telling me what happened. <laughs> yeah. Season one was just like a really generic story about ai that they shoehorned picard into and it didn't work for me um but season two i like the idea behind it i like um that it's kind of like a weird retelling of uh first contact with the borg going back in time all that stuff but it felt it still felt pretty muddled and it still felt like it was too serialized like one big story that was being dragged out a little too far mm. Um, yeah. that was, that was my main complaint. And also like, I don't know, not everything worked. Um, of course, now that I say that, I can't really think of anything specific. The time travel is stupid. The time travel is stupid, but it's Star Trek. I'm used to <laughs> time travel being stupid in Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> Q dying was very, um, unexplained and like the rules weren't explained either. Like what, what does it mean that he's dying and. Like what? What are his powers now? And yeah, it just didn't make a lot of sense. Um, did he have a wife and kid at some point in the show? What happened to those? Q? No, yeah, not that I know I'm of. Pretty sure he had a he had a, he had a kid. Maybe I that happened in Voyager. Distinctly, or he had a kid. There was a young Q in Next Generation, but I don't think it was like his kid. I think it was just like a young Q that decided not to be a Q or something. I don't even remember. I have to um, uh, give context to the listeners. I haven't seen most of Star Trek. Like, I just know things by osmosis or, like, reading wikis and, like, hanging out with Star Trek nerds because <laughs> that's the kind of stupid, dumb uh, life I lead. And that's why I can't remember anybody's name because my head is filled with information from shows I haven't watched. Uh, <laughs> Whereas I am um, the big Star Trek nerd. That is friends with Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure you have given me a lot of Star Trek facts that I just internalize as facts. Like, so sometimes people could just be like telling me wrong things about series. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, go on. Uh, let's see. I liked that they brought in the Borg Queen, but then I feel like they really nerfed the Borg Queen. 
like to a kind of ridiculous extent. Like even when she partially assimilated, uh, what's her name? Like I just about to look that up. Yeah. Like how does partial assimilation work? That's never happened before in Star Trek. Like when the Borg inject you with their nanobots, like you're assimilated immediately. Like there's no need for more power or anything. They're just nanobots. But in this, like she's constantly struggling for control with the Borg queen. And and I didn't buy it. And I also really didn't buy, like, I know what they were going for, but I also really didn't buy in the end that they're able to like come to some kind of agreement between the two of them to only assimilate those who want to be assimilated. And then they hide out for hundreds of years in an alternate dimension or something. None of that really worked for me. I thought that was kind of dumb. Oh, really? I yeah. like that part. I, I like the idea of like a superior robot race that is inhuman, but they also doing nothing wrong. Because I feel like the ending of the series is a great setup for a good Star Trek series. Well, I agree. Don't yeah. put Picard in it. Don't put next generation people <laughs> in it. I just want the idea of now the Federation or having to struggle with like, hey, like these robot people are going to like overtake life, kind of. <laughs> but also, at the same time, they're not doing morally anything wrong anymore. And, like, if there is pressure to be, like, whole colonies are like, hey, we'd rather be bored because you guys aren't taking care of our federation. You know? That would yeah, be a good dynamic for, really, like, a, Yeah, interesting ethical dilemmas you could throw in yeah. there. That would be fun. Yeah. yeah. You're going to get the exact opposite of that in the next yeah. season of Picard. I know. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to forget the Borgwing exists, and they're just going to bring back the entire uh, uh, Next Generation cast. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that we uh, we saw Will Wheaton at the end. I thought that I thought that was actually handled pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of those few people that actually like Will Wheaton, so I, I was like, too. "Hey, it's the it's the dude from Big Bang Theory." <laughs> <laughs> Is that your general thoughts on this? Because I have some thoughts. Yeah, I could get a lot more detailed, but we'd be here all night. So <laughs> go ahead and tell me your thoughts. I think it starts strong in like introducing us to the characters. And in the middle, it just fucked around for like three fucking episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. The middle is the weakest part. And then when they go back to the future, the time travel logic doesn't make any sense. And I'm not even ex- I'm not even expecting time travel logic uh, outside of this season to make sense. Like, I'm not applying any other time travel Star Trek has done in outside of this. No, uh, even this by season. its own rules, yeah. it doesn't work. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Do you, do you live in a deterministic universe or not? Because the when Q changed the past, it created an alternate reality. But when they come back to change the past, it has always been this way all along. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I also got really confused about Guinan because in... Next Generation, Guinan and Picard actually met in like 1900 with Mark Twain and all that kind of stuff. And then in this, she doesn't remember him anymore. Like she thinks she's meeting him for the first time in 2023 or whatever year it was. Oh, Um, and that doesn't really make sense. Like I've had to I've had to like go back and kind of retroactively like fix it in my head like that because (laughs) they changed the past. They also changed Picard's future. So therefore Picard didn't actually go back in time. It's just, it it gave me a headache (laughs) and I'm usually really good about that. Okay. So this is my question though. What do you think about them adding in this whole entire emotional backstory to Picard? I don't mind it actually. Um, It was a little heavy handed, but I was fine with it because you you never, 
known anything about his parents. Like they've never mentioned his parents ever, which is kind of weird because they've mentioned the parents of every other cast member. So true. true. Um, what I was going to say was uh, it was way better than what I expected from the trailers. The trailers made it seems like they're going to go back and say he was always destined to be a great star captain. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was worried about that too. But, yeah. <laughs> But that wasn't the case. That it was just severe childhood trauma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. If Guy is Baltar is your dad, of course you're gonna have trauma. <laughs> <laughs> I love I I love Guy and Baltar uh, being the dead. Yeah, uh, so great. One of these days we'll talk about uh, Battlestar Galactica and all the trauma it caused me. Um, look, I didn't mind the Picard thing, but uh, but they kind of resolved his arc like three times. That's because, true. Like, he has yeah. a dream and he resolve it, and then he's like, "I don't want to talk about it yet." And they resolve it again, and then they resolve it again with Q. <laughs> but then there's more. The yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that uh, backstory wasn't that interesting to deserve that kind of attention. No, it was um, like they wanted it to be this long, layered backstory, but it was actually a very simple backstory. You know, yeah. His mom was yeah. mentally ill, and he didn't understand yeah. his father. The yeah. end. They- <laughs> Their version of Han Solo wanting to remain behind with the nurse was more interesting. Yeah. Um, but I thought I thought they were gonna do like a um kind of like a love triangle between Agnes. I kinda like that they did it, but also like she became a born queen, so I guess that's out of the order. <laughs> that's really of shit. I did um, like that they turned her into the Borg Queen, but at the same time I think she looks really stupid as the Borg Queen. <laughs> <gasps> we're gonna fight. <laughs> 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 I was gonna say the ball point was pretty dumb, except I feel like the entire thing was an excuse to put Agnes in leather pants and make her become the ball queen. And you know what? I don't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I liked her more in the red dress. It was better. Oh yeah, that's true. But evil Agnes, I don't know, man. It made me question things. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that ball queen story art between Agnes and her, all jokes aside, is actually very fun and very interesting. Like yeah. the internal struggle. That I like what they forward. were trying to do with it. Yeah. 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 I, I hear you when you say it doesn't make sense with Star Trek canon about Borgs, but uh, I liked it. Uh, the thing about Borg, like, you just kind of have to get over it because going all the way back to First Contact when they introduced the Borg Queen, that really doesn't make sense. <laughs> I love First Contact and I love the Borg Queen, but she does not make sense with what we knew of the Borg before that. <laughs> and everything since has been trying to make sense of it and then they've never really done a good job. So, Well, yeah, and it doesn't Nemesis uh, bring in uh, Picard as like a son with the Borg Queen or something? No, Nemesis is a clone from the Romulans. Ah, uh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, it, I find the conclusion of the arc with the Borg Queen not being like, hey, uh, Agnes and me are like gonna fuck off, we're cool. And then they resolve the one with the uh, ancestors. Uh, I think that was a satisfactory ending, but then they're like, oh yeah, we have to go back to the future and resolve things there as well. Right. And that wasn't interesting at all. I'm like, what? <laughs> it really felt like an afterthought. I'm like, oh, by the way, yeah. there's this other galactic threat we gotta deal with. Yeah. yeah, one that like that they haven't set up at all. Like they, they could have been like the, that. Galactic threat is because Q died or something. You know? Yeah, they could have, they could have that. tied that into that. That makes a yeah. lot of sense. That's a good idea. Yeah, you should have been in the wider writers room. Hey man, like I know it is such a nerd thing to just always feel like I should have been in the writer room, <laughs> but <laughs> constantly I'm like, you just you just needed to change one thing for this to make sense. <laughs> 
Okay, I'm going to get on anyway. my soapbox for a second about Star Trek yep. and like yep. up to the beginning of Voyager, including all the way up to the end of Deep Space Nine. There was an open submission policy where anybody could send in story ideas and screenplays, and a lot of them would be turned into some of the best episodes. But then they stopped doing that because the Writers oh, yes. Guild and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Star Trek has never been the same since. But I think that that's been a detriment to Star Trek. Well, now they just every single new season of Star Trek, they have to do an episode or two referencing episodes from the original season. Oh, and if you sure. haven't seen the if you haven't seen the original season, they like a, a new audience like this is real weird. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, I don't hate New Trek. I, I, I there's, there's things about it I really like, but I do feel like it's a lot clunkier than old Trek. Maybe that's just because I'm an old man. Mm, but that leads maybe. in perfectly the Strange New Worlds, which I feel which, like. Is the best I'm thing. gonna take the lead. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Because it is it is my favorite Star Trek thing by far. Uh Strange New World is making me watch the original series. I'm watching the original series nice. and listening to a podcast about <laughs> the original series. <laughs> and for people listening, Strange New World is a, technically a spin-off of Discovery because it bring back the version of Captain Pike they introduced in uh, Discovery. And towards the end of his role in Discovery, he learned that he's going to be to be in a horrific accident and become essentially like a quadriplegic that um, sustained by a life support system and like hope can only communicate through beats, and, which was his fate in the original series. In the series. original series, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, a little bit of history lesson. I know um, Star Trek history lesson coming from me instead of Eric <laughs> is strange. Um, but the first pilot ever of Star Trek they shot was with Captain Pike. Like, they hired an actor to be Captain Pike, and they shot it. A, a lot of the casts are still the same with some minor differences. But they didn't like it, so they reshot it with Kirk. And then later, retroactively, they made the pilot canon um, in story to say it was the previous captain of the um, Star, Sh- Star Trek Enterprise. Right, and, and that's where you get characters like number one, there was yeah. a different doctor in the cage yeah. than there is in Strange New Worlds or in uh, regular Star Trek. So this is like a very, like if you're a big Star Trek fan, which I wasn't, I found all of these out after the fact, after I fell in love with um, Strange New World. It is really rich with history and really interesting, but for a newcomer, all you need to know is what I just told you that um, in di- you don't even need to watch Discovery. They 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 recap they it all in the it first well. episode yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a uh, this is set like seven years before the original series. So he know his fate is coming, and he just kind of like, uh, how does it affect his day to day life? How does this affect his captain? You know, like does he try to change his fate, or does he try to do the best he can up to that? So that's across the series uh, overall thing. But also day to day is just, it is return to form of the golden age of like pulpy sci-fi shows where it's an episode, a crisis by episode, and it just wraps it up within like the 45, 50 minutes. And I've been missing that from my life so much (laughs) because a lot of modern sci-fi and fantasy is all story arc these days. And man, Strange New World, love it. Put it into my vein. <laughs> so what did you think? <laughs> no, I, I also really, really loved it. It really, it felt like old Trek in all the best ways. Like you said, it's episodic. It leans into 
Star Trek history and Star Trek canon. But again, like you said, it's not mandatory. Like I'm, I was catching like hundreds of Easter eggs in every episode. And I'm sure to the casual viewer, like wouldn't catch any of them. And that's fine. The story still makes perfect sense. Um, and yeah, I, I really dig the way they're playing with canon and what is going to happen and what has happened and who these characters are going to become. And Spock has a wife. <laughs> like, where did that come from? Um, well, Spock has a fiance. Fiance. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, there's a lot of really interesting things they do. I love how they com- they completely revamped Nurse Chapel. She's a completely different character, but I like her a lot. I I love <laughs> Nurse Chapel. If anything happened to Nurse Chapel, I'm burning down everything I see around me. <laughs> I also really uh, like the doctor. Um, Mgabe, I think his name is. Um, yeah. yeah, he's really good. He's really interesting. He's, like I said, he's not from either the Cage or Vanilla Star Trek. He's an entirely new character. And Yeah, that probably means he'll die at some point. Probably. <laughs> um, I, I like that he had a story arc where he um you know had his daughter in the the transport buffer, buffer? um yep. and had just had to bring her out every once in a while and she was like slowly dying um but i do feel like <laughs> they wrapped it up way too fast like they just like suddenly wrap it up okay she's off living with some other entity and we're just going to trust that everything's fine uh, <laughs> like that was weird i did like that episode it was trying to be like an old school holodeck episode where everything's all weird and they're in like a fantasy (laughs) world Um, but they did it without the holodeck so they did it was a nice little twist on star trek i liked it yes yeah and changing everybody's character is also good like always like i I, they could have they could have fallen through the trope of like oh they maintain their facility is shown through nope they like pike is the coward now (laughs) (laughs) i loved coward pike he was so funny (laughs) um so now that I'm rewatching a lot of old track, um, the fucking uh, transport buffer is just a magic thing that they use for a <laughs> random plot. <laughs> a random plot device, isn't it? It's not the worst uh, example of it. The worst example was Scotty living in the transport buffer for like a hundred years. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's how he showed up in Next Generation. Is that he'd been in a transport buffer on a Dyson sphere? That's. I mean, that's not a bad idea. That's pretty cool. I mean, that was how he survived, because he had no other way to survive. He was stuck. He was stranded. Uh, yeah, the, the transport buffer will uh, keep people in stasis, will split their personalities into clone people, make evil versions of them. <laughs> <laughs> Anything and everything. Uh, but I like also... that they they like set it up before they explained it. So like there was that one yeah. episode where um, the engineer is trying to go through and find any anomalies in the transport buffer and then yeah. the doctor's like no get away from that transporter and you know yeah. turns off the light and everything to make it look like he's messing with things that he shouldn't be messing with um so yeah. that was cool that was cool that they set yeah. it up before they even told you anything about it yeah um, that episode and was I... also another spin on star trek formula where everybody starts acting weird you know either there's some kind of alien consciousness making everybody horny like in next generation or <laughs> in know, the original show or in the original show. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this was like a new spin on that and it was kind of cool. I liked it. Um, I thought turning number one into a genetically altered person was it's kind of going over the same ground. They went with Dr. Bashir, but okay. Yeah. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, look, it's just one of those shows. I think it also um, returned to that utopian ideal of Star Trek once it first started. Yeah. Uh, it's not trying to be dark uh, and gritty. It's, it's you know, trying to be an adventure. It's trying to be wagon train to the stars. And that, I, yes. I appreciate that. 
And it's one of those shows where you just kind of come to love every character. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that that's like an easy, view, easy viewing thing. And if you like sci-fi and you don't, you don't even like Star Trek, and you know, like, even the name Star Trek is a barrier of entry to, to a lot of people because it has a lot of history and a lot of weight attached to it. This is, I think this is a great place to get in. Um, I think that this means the show is doing a really good job because I'm constantly like, please just make a new timeline. Like, please don't just continue into the original series because I want the series to run as long as it can. And also, I don't want Pike to die. <laughs> <laughs> or like... I- essentially become like ponderably big. <laughs> I do feel like they're setting up a different timeline. I don't think this is going to turn into vanilla Star Trek. Also uh, because the actor they got to play Captain Kirk is terrible. Yes, I'm just about to say big spoilers. <laughs> um they do bring in Kirk at some point. I don't think he's terrible. I he's think he's not he just... Captain Kirk. He's yeah. he's nobody. <laughs> Like his brother uh, is a better actor that like, than he is. I don't know. Just didn't yeah. work for me. But also like I think they are going for like this is supposed to be Kirk pre um uh, him become the Kirk we all know. And I think our version of Kirk is also being kind of skewed by all the parodies like Zap Brannigan and stuff. <laughs> when I go back and rewatch the original series, Kirk wasn't that exaggerated in the beginning. Like there are dramatic scenes in which they all act like Shakespearean actors, but the entire show is like that, you know? No, I mean, he was trying to be like a, a lead in a Western was kind of how he approached it in the beginning yeah. of the first season or two. Well, yeah. there's only three seasons. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't anyway, know. Anyway, uh, I and really I, like it. Like, sorry, go. I love it, but I'm very, very, very mad they killed the engineer. He was my favorite character and he's dead because yeah. he was so surly. <laughs> I loved yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but it was a good death. Though. It was a, it good, was a death. good death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, it made Uhura join the crew. Uhura's in it. Um, in the flash forward, we briefly hear Scotty, but we never see him. Yeah, you just hear a Scottish man on the intercom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Uh, they made Gorns terrifying. Uh, Gorns were supposed to be terrifying in the original series, <laughs> like that episode where they introduce them. Like they 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 talk them up as this horrible, scary thing that nobody's ever seen before. But then you know, in the show, it's just a guy in a costume. <laughs> <laughs> But that, yeah, uh, I like that they made the Gorn scary again. They tried to do that in Enterprise, and it it didn't really work because the Gorn was like really, really bad CG. Didn't uh, yeah. it, it was bleh. <laughs> rewatching the original series. Uh, Kirk also fixed a lot of his problems with the giant rock. That's true. Yes, <laughs> right. Amount of problems <laughs> and that two fisted punch. He does that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> At one point early in the series, he killed a god with a giant rock. <laughs> Star Trek is weird. It and, is very weird. Uh, Strange New World is uh, is to blame for becoming my gateway drug. Into <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we I feel like we could uh, spend a whole fucking day on um, Strange New World. So uh, instead, let's just say you should go watch it. Uh, especially so we get like six more seasons. <laughs> yes, please. Um, and now we'll take a little break and we'll come back and talk all about the new set. Star Trek.
are back to talk about the last five episodes of The Sandman. Uh, apologies for our podcast breaking up into three, three, and five. I know it's illogical, but there was no way for us to know they're going to drop a secret 11th episode that is actually two episodes in one. <laughs> That's true. But I mean, at least the, uh, the first four episodes are basically one story arc. Story arc. And if you are just hearing about the secret 11th episode now on this podcast, Pause. Go watch it. They dropped a secret 11th episode, <laughs> which is uh, two stories um, um, in one. It is over an hour long, and it is great. Um, before we start, I want to quickly apologize for my very congested sound. Um, it is the beginning of a weekend in which I packed it full of activities. So, of course, I feel like I'm coming down with something. Let's see if podcasting and then binge drinking will fix it. <laughs> <laughs> It's always worked for me. <laughs> mm. but yeah, you have my uh, okay. sympathies because my son just went back to school, so it's only a matter of time before I get sick, too. Yeah, that's the part about having kids that uh, people usually don't talk about, that um, a lot of my friends are trying to have kids, and, and like I'm hearing it from them. They they just fucking disease carriers. They play rats. They yeah, bring disease into your house. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, speaking of disease carriers, wait, is that even a good segue? Either way, I'm going ahead with it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just plow through, man, plow through. <laughs> yeah. Um, so before this story arc, the, the dollhouse story arc began, um, you don't like your, your Sandman knowledge have completely ended, right? You don't, you haven't read to this, um, storyline before. No, I knew nothing about this storyline except for what I okay. saw in the previews and like little hints that I've gotten from you. Okay, so overall, what did you think of the storyline? Um, not not counting episode eleven, the the dollhouse story arc. Yeah, just talking about the the four episode arc. Um, I thought it started a little weak because mm. the stakes weren't very well outlined. Yep. It's weird when I was complaining before about there being too much exposition. Now all of a sudden there's not enough because like mm. you don't know what a vortex is, you don't know what yep. Corinthians' plan is, you don't know why any of this should matter. Um, and it just, the first episode or two of this arc really dragged for me. I found myself, you know, looking at my phone and shit. Um, and that's bad. I don't think I'd done that yet while watching this show. Um, it was a big step down from the last block of episodes, but then it picks up. The last two episodes are way better. Um, I really like the, the serial convention episode. Yep. Awesome. Um, I love the way everything wraps up. I think, well, for the most part, we'll get there. Um, but yeah, I did, I did like it in the end. It just, it took a long time for me to warm up to. I kind of agree with you. Um, uh, it is a big come down from the last three, last block of three episodes, especially because they were so good. Yeah. Um, but because I knew what was coming and I was looking forward to meeting some of my favorite characters, like the inhabitants of the dollhouse. And I was really curious as to what they will do with lighter and jet storylines, which we'll get to the later. So it did keep me hooked, but um, I'm the opposite because I don't watch Sandman for like the actiony scenes or like the the big fighting resolution. I was a little bit bored towards the end of the story arc where they were like Corinthian and Sandman is just like chasing each other and talking to Rose Walker and like they they try to make it more actiony, you know? Like Sandman is clearly a more of a talky thinky series, and then uh, but it's a TV show; they have to. They have to add some action into it. So I, I thought that scene was kind of like, eh. No, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, 
I'm actually totally with you there. Um, because oh, okay. like we were talking about with the last block, like some of my favorite episodes are very slow and it's just a lot of talking, like when he's talking with death or when he's talking to Hob or, and, and yeah, like the action didn't bother me. Like it wasn't like, Oh God, here we go with an action scene. But at the same time, it wasn't necessary. Like I didn't feel like it was, it needed to be there. Um, and yeah. it wasn't that creative. It wasn't that visually interesting. That's true. Um, but I did like uh, I did like the confrontations between like Corinthian and Dream when they're having like their philosophical conversation. Yeah, um, that was great. That was awesome. Yeah, that's straight out of the comics, though. Also, I'm sure. All right, so let's go into details there. Um, okay, so Rose Walker and Unity is one of those characters. Also, once again, I use this phrase as a description without judgment. Gray swapped. They were white in the original show. Um, uh, it really does not matter that they're black here. <laughs> I'm just bringing it to people's attention because when they go online and listen to people complaining about the characters, <laughs> these people, those people might have slight, you know, agenda <laughs> why they complain <laughs> because the characters are exactly the same. That's they changed nothing. <laughs> yeah, you can't. Uh, this is an audio medium, so you can't see me just rolling my eyes at the idea that people care. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we have met Rose Walker before. Do you remember? No, I don't remember meeting Rose before. Uh, in the diner, uh, the lesbian girl, who's I, I, I forgot her name, uh, she called her friends to to find out where her girlfriend went, and she called Rose. Oh, that's nice. That's a neat little yeah. nod that I didn't yeah. notice at all. Yeah. <laughs> and and the one the girl that uh, died in 24-7, you can see one of her pictures in Rose's uh, apartment. I totally missed that. Awesome. See, that's what happens when you look at your phone. So, yeah, like um, people that might be like, you know, I hate it when like shows like Star Wars does that. But the whole point of Sandman is like, oh, all of these people are like linked and fate is intricately pulling them together. Well, I get the idea. Like they explain it towards the end that like Rose as a vortex is bringing all these dreams to her. Um, Yeah. And the idea that like that would extend even to like um, John D with the yeah. with the ruby that makes sense to me. Like I get it. That that yeah. is not like a coincidence that I think goes too far. Unity. Uh, we will. Uh, there's not much to talk about Unity without talking about Desire and their plan. So, well, I guess let's just tackle it. Um, the the cha- big change in Unity is in the comics. Um, Unity was just raped. There's no romance. Like she doesn't remember. She dreamt that she had a child. But she doesn't remember like uh, how it happened. Like uh, they just thought somebody raped her in the hospital, and she gave birth. But here there is a parallel with Lighter Hall's story that clearly Desire uh, caught Dream out of the way so she can mess around in <laughs> Dream's realm right. and had an entire affair with Unity to gave birth to uh, the this kid, this child. Um, within uh, the dreamland, and we learn later with Lyda Hall and her, her kids, there is a significant to like kids that are gestated but inside dreamland, and you know she's an endless. So she's yeah, an she's got endless offspring. blood in her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Which that's is clearly destiny. part of the plan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and to uh, uh, trick uh, dream into shedding blood of family, and in mythology and. If people watch Game of Thrones and historical context, um, people will remember like it is. It used to be such a big deal to spill the blood of a re- like uh, of a relative. 
um, you know, the whole Kingslayer insult. And that come back come back in a lot of mythological stories of a lot of culture because it's just a way to discourage people from like fighting the fight of family, really, right? Yeah. Uh, so there is implications of what that would mean. But um, so far, all we know is it could it would be bad if uh, endless spilled the blood of another endless. Do you think so, um, the fact that Cain and Abel are in the show is like kind of a subtle hint to that, or am I just reading way too much into things? Well, I think um, Cain and Abel being in the show is is of course um, I don't think it's a subtle hint to that, but I think it's like thematically fit about like because this this comic is also about families, you know. Well, yeah, true. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think in a way that thematically, yes, but not necessarily hinting towards any kind of direct yeah, it's not like, between yeah, the MS or something. Right. Yeah. It's not like a narrative clue, but it yeah, you're right. It's like a thematic through line. But um the reason I'm talking about all of this is because I like that they changed it. I like that um desire is desire. Desire is their domain. I don't uh, uh, they would much win over a possessed unity uh, uh, than rape her you know so i think this change is actually way better than the comic because um desire's ability is like everybody does desire them so i like this is a much more conniving like uh, <laughs> shitty little plan that is more much more desire than um raping somebody in the hospital and you know it's fine if you remove uh, sexual assaults from the show, show. I'm, I, that's fine like the world f- is grim and dark enough we don't need to see more it's fine. I feel like that was still <laughs> kind of implied like you find out that Desire didn't do that but I mean I imagine the way she described it when she described how she got pregnant it, yeah. it, it seemed implied that she probably got raped at the at the hospital she probably didn't we know that now but at the yeah. time in the first episode where she was explaining things that I got the yeah that sense yeah but she like she can also she says it with like affection and like clearly there's no trauma there because That's true. in her like from, in, from her perspective there's no trauma i'm not belittling the, the in the real world what what that kind of trauma that that kind of experience might bring but this is magic in this world and in from her perspective she lived she clearly lived a full fulfilling life with desire you know, or at least once you remember fondly. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I didn't catch the whole golden eyes thing because I only saw Desire briefly in like two or three yeah. scenes, so it hadn't yeah. it didn't click for me when she said my my husband with the golden eyes. Like I didn't think about it at all. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let, let's go back to Rose Walker. What do you think of her personality and all that? Like, I think she's she's fine. Like, you know, I don't think she's anything that special. You know. I do like that she's a little hot-headed um, and, like, not necessarily in a good way. Like, you see it both in a good way and a bad way. So, like, I feel like that makes her a more well-rounded character, that she's got her emotions very close to the surface. She's got her heart on her sleeve. Um, I appreciate that in characters. I also like that they don't do that tired trope of, like, uh, the character being too skeptical about magic. When, when enough weird start, stuff start happening and she remembered the dream and she see Ray, uh, she see Matthew and she's like, okay, that wasn't dream. That was real then, I guess. Cool. Yeah, I did. <laughs> there was a lot of that in these episodes where like characters are just kind of rolling with it. And I like that this is the kind of world where people will roll with that, you know, and just yeah. because, yeah, I don't want to sit there and wait for people to come to terms with the fact that magic is real because that's boring. <laughs> We've yeah. seen it a million yeah. times. Yeah. It is a little bit harder to sell in the TV show, I think, because 
as a medium, fantasy is harder to share, sell in a uh, live action TV show. But also in the comics, you have to remember it is set in the DC comic book universe. These people know like uh, 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 Amazonian gods and stuff exist. You know, Wonder Woman is running around. So it's not that strange for these people. I don't know. I actually think it was more of a hard sell for the first half. Um, then in this in this storyline, the characters are already whack. Like they're already crazy, really extreme, like bizarre characters. So like, yes, it seems logical that they would roll with it because they're already really weird. Um, yes. So it, like I said, I, I feel like it. This part of the show, that's not an issue to me. So. Yes. Yes. Uh, which segue us neatly into these fucking weirdos that I love, the inhabitants of the dollhouse. What did you think of them? Okay, when they were first introduced, I was a little, okay, what are we doing? Really? We're going to introduce <laughs> these like crazy, this house is just full of nuts. Um, but, <laughs> and I didn't understand where they were going with hey, it. Man, because like like yeah. i said like nothing had really been set up properly but then once she starts you know breaking down the walls between dreams and starts going into all their dreams and stuff i understood where they were going with it i got it and then i started to really like these characters for yeah. their ridiculous eccentricities um so yeah yeah that's where i am see i thought the whole point was that like it, the way i felt like remember i have to come in with the uh, uh, you know you come with all the notions from yeah. the comic. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't erase that from my mind. So uh, I always thought the whole point was like, there is no normal, you know, like these, these people are normal. Like they have normal issues that they have, they are manifesting in eccentricity, you know? Well, um, I think that's like a, that's kind of a running theme throughout the entire show that yeah. nobody is normal. <laughs> like, yeah. I get that. Yeah. Scratch behind the surface and then there's just <laughs> weird shit, you know? Like, <laughs> Um, no value judgment. Uh, I think the introduction of hell in uh, the show is so good. Um, different. It's different from the comic, and it's one of those things where they're like, okay, like this is a brand new scene, but they completely captured hell because lighter being like, oh, do you guys know each other? We're like, no, I, I like we met on the phone yesterday, and like we told each other the <laughs> life stories, and I, immediately you're like, okay, that yeah, they got hell right, like. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then the other characters walk in and they already know everything about Rose. It was great. That was a, yeah. that was a really fun scene. Yeah. I'll give you that. That whole introduction is not from the comic, and it was really well done. Um, I love I love the Black Widows for lack of a better word. Um, the Goth Widows is probably the <laughs> the better term. Um, Zelda and Chantel. Uh, okay, so what's your thoughts on them? They clearly love us. Like the, yeah, the introduction is just kind of like ha ha. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I like the. Um, they're always talking about their taxidermied spider collection. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's great. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They feel very Neil Gaiman. Like they, they feel like characters that Neil Gaiman made. Yeah. So, yeah. Like... And I really like that for all of the inhabitants of the dollhouse, when you introduce them, um, and they all the authenticity, you're like, oh yeah, these characters are like, we've, we've met the whole character. Like this is the package. And then you met the dream half, and then you're like, oh, that was like the tip of the iceberg. Like, there's so much more underneath. Like, I like, I, I think the the inhabitant of the dollhouse is very good at uh, communicating the idea that the dreams matter. Like, that's the theme of this Absolutely. series. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, without the hidden self and dream self, we only get half a picture of these people. Yeah, and I um, felt like 
for Zelda and Chantel, I thought it was like the most interesting because their dream realities were so um, unexpected. Like Hal having to deal with his own duality um, and his his sexuality. That's fine. That's easy. I could see that coming a mile away. Barbie and Ken having, we are, well, Ken having, you know, sexual urges. He can't, you know, realize in the real world. So he's having wish fulfillment dreams of that. Fine. I get that. And, you know, a little bit of guilt. Fine. And Barbie having like this weird, crazy, flighty fantasy world. That makes sense to me too. But Zelda and Chantel, they're like, they're reading to an audience. And like, I have a relationship with a sentence. What does that mean? (laughs) That's straight out of the comic book. And I was worried that they won't because it's like one, it's, it's the whole thing is a poem. And it's, it's like, I'm not a poem guy. And it's such beautiful prose that I'm like, they can't do it in live action. And when they went to the dream sequence, they did the entire thing. And I was so happy for me. Uh, and I, I, I might get them mixed up. The, the two names. Yeah, I don't know uh, which one's which. Yeah. I believe Chantel is the one that is in the, in the dream world. She's saying, I'm having a relationship with the sentence. And today I'm reading it into the library of Congress. Right. Um, and when she flip up the book, it says Z on it. Mm-hmm. And like the little, the little, uh, uh, like they don't just say it like they don't even outright say they love us and i think that's probably to do with like comic um censorship back in the days and they couldn't say it straight up um and uh, like their love story like clearly she's talking about zelda right that's yeah. uh, that's great and zelda is the one that doesn't talk at all in the real world but her dream world is so rich and but like she she's talking nonstop as a kid right and, like, a clearly, girl. like yeah, yeah. It implies like something crushed her, you know, <laughs> uh, talkativeness, um, pretty young. And then, like, it's all about like her. It doesn't matter that other people don't know her anymore because Chantel does, you know. And I thought that was really, as well. yeah, that was um, neat. The whole thing, yeah. And like the whole gothic heroines, like, we're, we're both gothic heroines of our own tale thing was really good as well because. Uh, well, of course, it's Neil Gaiman, so he understands like gothic tradition isn't about being moody, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's this, and I really love that aspect of it. Um, Bobby and Ken, though, they drastically change their characters' um, dreams in the dream world. Oh, really? Uh, well, but, uh, Ken especially. So in this in this story arc, um, looking it. Looking at it overall for the whole first season, uh, I understand why they change a lot of the power dynamics between couples. Like, I think that's a bigger change because if you go back and look at it in the comics, in both of the two story arcs, there is absolutely no happy couple. Like, in fact, all the couples are not just unhappy, they were in, they are all in very destructive, non functional, borderline abusive, or definitely abusive relationships. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so in the, in the TV show, they changed enough. So it isn't that. And I think the TV show is, I think it's also because Neil Gaiman has changed as a person, right? Like we were all a little bit edgier when we were teenagers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the TV show is going for a lot less bleak, drastic view of the world. And I think it worked better for the show because in the, in here, it's more implied that Barbie is jealous in the real world, and Ken is has internalizing some of the guilt into 
you know, uh, like sexual fantasies. Uh, and he's probably also attracted as well, right? Because there's nothing in the real world showing that Ken was actually doing anything with uh, No, the it, it's, it's just the yeah. dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It's sexual like, urge is uh, not something he was actually doing in the real world, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but in the comics, his dream is a very, like, Art Deco-style, like, talking heads of, like, people in suits just repeatedly saying, like, money, money, power, sex. <laughs> you know, things like that, you know? <laughs> Weird. And, like, when the dream world crashed into each other, like, you see just how incompatible they are as a person. Uh, whereas, like, Barbie in the comics, and here too, um, is shown, like, a very basic, you know, blonde... Uh, uh, a blonde, like stereotypical, uh, happy-go-lucky girl, like a Barbie, you know. But she has this rich dream world that is essentially like a setup of uh, the land, the witch, and the wardrobe, or like any kind of fantasy series where a normal human being get pulled into a fantasy world, right? Uh, so that contrast of like, oh, these people are just like they just like play acting in real life, right? Like, you know, they're not compatible at all, and like it's so sad. But they kind of tone it down in the TV show. Yeah, they still seem like they're a happy couple in the real world. Like they might have a few issues to work out, but nothing too serious. Just like sitcom issues, really. Yeah, I wonder what this change will have continuity uh, effect later down the track because in the show, at the end of this. What do you, where do you think we leave Bobby and Ken? They seemed happy. Like, I don't know. They seemed like they were going to live in that house with the Zelda and Chantel. Yeah. So let's see where that goes when it comes back. Um, let's go to Hell. Um, love Hell. Uh, he is the best. Um, uh, <laughs> and he is better in the show than he is in the comic. And I already like him in the comic. Yeah. Uh, like, again, like he's a very well rounded character. Um, that he's not, he seems very easygoing on the outside. But also, like you know, he's 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 a gossip, but he's also kind of depressed with his lot in life. But yeah. through this experience, he's learning to you know just go after his dreams again. And I really, yeah. I really like that. I think that is a really sweet story. Um, yeah. So yeah, and his that character, yeah. Did... Of course, how could you not love him? He's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That part, that part did happen in the comic. So the, the comic is not entirely bleak. I'm just saying, like, it, it's, it comes from, like, a very gothic horror foundation. Of course, and yeah. It does have some hopeful stuff in it. Um, whereas the show is really not as gothic or horror uh, as the comic at all. Yeah. Um, and I think some people are going to hate that, but um, that's a shame. Uh, I really love Hell's entire speech to Rose about, like, <laughs> you know, like, hey, like, I'm doing the best of what I got, like, He's like, I, I'm just doing the best of my lot. Like, do you think this is what I want? Like, do you think I want to pick up after other people? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a, it was a profound little moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and like him just advising her to just get out. And, uh, <laughs> and in the end, stuff. he takes That's his good. own advice. You know, so yeah, yeah. So I love Gilbert too, and uh, when uh, whatever we would discuss, like how Sandman would make as a movie because we would have never thought it would become a TV show because, you know, TV shows don't get budgets like this uh, <laughs> until like the last five years. Uh, I always pick Stephen Fry. So I'm glad <laughs> Stephen Fry is Gilbert. Uh, <laughs> because who else could you cast? Like <laughs> he's, he's, he's great. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, I believe the character of Gilbert is modeled after an uh, old British celebrity called Charleston C.K. It's like a uh, um, Gilbert actually talk about his writing in the car as Rose was falling asleep. 
So that's the right. that's the real life person that his appearance is modeled after. So I guess the implication is that Gilbert, whose uh, name in the dreamy I can't remember, uh, uh, the, because he's a some, place something green. Uh, oh, the uh, fiddler's green. Fiddler's green. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess fiddler's green uh, when he took human form, uh, being a fan of <laughs> Charleston work, uh, <laughs> took the form of Charleston CK. I guess. Uh, yeah, he's great. Uh, he's being Stephen Fry. And yeah, he's and just, just being, he's just playing himself. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but it, it, it like is painfully obvious. Like the minute you meet him, this is yeah. not a human being. This is Fiddler's yeah. Green. This is the unaccounted for dream. And I love that little line about he's like, oh, you know, I do have a sword and a, a service <laughs> revolver. He <laughs> <laughs> wasn't just uh, a service revolver. He said it was like an ancient service revolver or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ancient, yes, serviceable service revolver. There it is. Like, yeah, that's yeah. What he said. <laughs> uh, I wish we saw more of him. Um, we'll get back to him when we talk to the rest of the denizens of the Dreaming. But what do you think about the Corinthian as the uh, overarching villain of this storyline? Um, at first, I thought he was kind of bland. Um, but then when it became clear like where they were going with this um, and that... Corinthian was inspiring this new age of serial killers and stuff. Um, I thought he became a lot more interesting. Um, and I, I like that. I, I really wish we understood his motivation a little better earlier on. Um, because, uh, if, because really like you don't know what he's doing and why he cares. Um, and I don't know. That just really bothered me about him. And I still don't completely understand what his motivation was. Like he just wanted he wanted unity or he wanted Rose because he wanted to defeat dream just so he could stop running. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Like, um, he, he's also like, he's also a re- reckless little thing, you know, unity oh, winning and dream dying is going to get, co- have consequences that he's not prepared for. And he doesn't even understand. Yeah. But, but he doesn't care. It, yeah. 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 And he doesn't have knowledge. So he think, um, unity defeating dream and being becoming charge of the dreaming means he could keep doing what he's doing unabated, no longer having to look over his shoulder. He is not correct, but he does not know that. <laughs> right. <clears throat> but I do like the the kind of like conundrum he puts Rose in because like he is sort of protecting them at the same time that he's basically using them. So like I don't know. I appreciate that kind of uh, narrative puzzle that you got to work out. Um, I like how they they did that, and I I freaking loved the whole serial convention. That was fantastic. Yes. That was like something out of a, a Chuck Palatnik novel or something. Yeah. Before we get deep deep dig deep into the serial convention, a little bit more on the Corinthian. Um, so you said he uh, inspired this new age of serial killer. The implication is he inspired all serial killers because uh, when he first escaped, when Salmon f- first got captured. Uh, serial killer is a mod. Serial killing is a modern American phenomenon. At, at, the, at the time, it's taken to be like now we know a little bit more, and now we know that there's probably more. There probably were serial killer back in the old days, you know. Uh, but I think around the time this was originally written, uh, I think it, they were trying to imply he was like the father of all serial killers and serial killing. Okay, but I mean, Jack the Ripper was the yeah. first famous serial killer. Sure. <laughs> But Jack the Ripper was also like 
surrounded in myth and stuff, right? You know? Yeah, it still is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really like the Corinthian. Um, I really... Uh, he has a lot more agency in the show, and um, he doesn't really enter into it that much until uh, the Dollhouse story arc, and the him trying to get Rose Walker to do something is a new invention for the show. Like he in the comic, he was just like running and killing people. Uh, okay. He has no, he has no overarching plan or anything. Um, and he show up at the um, convention of his own accord. Like it was just all these dream inhabitant being drawn together. That was part of the effect uh, by the vortex. Like, right. Uh, he he really he really was a uh, blonde. Uh, himbo that is just going around killing people <laughs> well knowing that and now that i've seen the whole first season i feel like i understand why they introduced him so early they put him so much earlier yeah. in the story um yeah. and i understand that they had to use they had to they had to bring out a character who would be like the final boss of the season basically yeah. and that's yeah. what the corinthian is and it, and he works yeah. great for that like yeah yeah um and i think the show will continue doing that, like uh, introducing characters early. And that's great because they have the benefit of hindsight about which characters will become more important later and stuff. Right. They're not um, just you know, writing episode or issue by issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So serial convention. So all the serial killers, uh, a lot of the dialogue, uh, especially when like Gilbert is going up and down the uh, corridor and opening doors and like walking past people and they all straight from the comics. It's a lot funnier in the in the context of the show, but in the context of the comic, it's a lot creepier. I can see how that would come across a lot darker. And yeah. Yeah. Whereas here, it's really leaning into like, it's almost whimsical approach yeah. to serial killers. Um, yeah. And it does a really good job. And it, it it feels so much just like a, just like a convention. You know, I've been to a lot of writers conventions and they kind of feel like that. They might as well be talking about, you know, writing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, they are talking about writing, right? Because in a Basically. lot of ways, they're talking about uh, the stories. Uh, Neil Gaiman is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Neil Gaiman is using a, a, a medium in the middle to tell us about like how to write villains, you know, how to write <laughs> women villains, you know. <laughs> but also, uh, as Dream explains towards the end, they are their rationalizations of their own behavior is the story they tell themselves. Yeah, 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 uh, and I don't inherently by that i mean like there is there are like massive psychological implication due to like yeah it's ignoring psychopath psychopathology entirely yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah but like but what what the way i take it to mean is like the the internalize the story to keep functioning right because if they confront it they they can't <laughs> exactly and that's how um, it ends yeah yeah yeah. Um, so uh, quickly on the 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 big name ones that we know, Nimrod is the guy who's organizing the whole thing. The uh, hunter. So yeah. So uh, the reason his name is Nimrod is is a biblical reference. Nimrod is a, a great hunter from the Bible. Uh, yep. That's it's not supposed to be an insult. Uh, Looney Tunes changed that because uh, what's his name? Bugs Bunny is always calling the hunter guy Nimrod. Yep. And people thought it was an insult, but he was actually just referencing the Bible. <laughs> uh, the good doctor is a guy in the comic. Oh, I loved uh, it as a woman. Like, yeah. Yeah. I also, oh my God, I just forgot. Like that whole scene where he walks into the one room and the women are talking about representation and how they're not being, yeah. and how there's a bias against them in this industry. 
that was yeah. so fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. Because at yeah. first Gilbert's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I can get with this. This is good. And then they start talking about killing. He's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> that is, yeah, that is a very, that is a very funny scene. And also the, the religious part panel where he's like, I'm God's instrument. And the other guy is like, I will not be associated with that man. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, like, I, I feel like we could have a whole like story arc set in the serial convention. It'd be so good. Um, but every single line you loved is, is from the comic. You need to go read the comic. There's more in there. It's so <laughs> fun. The serial convention thing is like so dark and so funny. So I want to talk about Funland because originally um, uh, he wanted to call him Disneyland. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and they're like, yeah, that's not going to pass. And his hat used to be uh, Mickey, Mickey ears. Mouse ears. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they changed it to Funland, but he still wanted to keep the Mickey Mouse ears, but they, they couldn't. And you know his whole speech about like how there's a little, the happiest place on earth that he goes to like they had to tone down that speech as well i and i don't know because i read the annotated segment as a seven so i don't know which part is the original script and which part actually made it to printing but originally there was a line neil gaiman wanted to put in that you know he's like and you know i'll never get caught because these people never want to never want the world to be <laughs> to know bad things happen here so they <laughs> clean up after my little games <laughs> So that's directly implicating Disney in covering <laughs> That is actually, that makes it so much funnier. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Um, and it also fit into what Dream said about these are just narrative they tell, because like even like even how they pick their vi- victims, because the some of his targets for fun are clearly definitely too old for what he says he's target. Yeah. But he, he just justifies, he's like, no, he looked younger. You know, like, you just want to kill. He's just a monster. <laughs> like, <laughs> I even... will say, like, he seemed like comic relief until the moment where he snaps and goes to chasing after Rose and, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. and Jed. That's actually horrifying. That one scene yeah. of him just racing down the hallway is genuinely scary. Yeah, uh, in the comics, uh, Jet wasn't that prominent in this. Jet was just, uh, the Corinthian doesn't charm Jet. He just have him in his boot. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's uh, Funland actually chased Rose, not Jet. Uh, and that's another thing where he's like, oh, you know, like Rose is too old for um, his victim profile, but he's still like, no, she look here. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, uh, and also, um, Morpheus put him to sleep. Like, uh, Corinthian doesn't kill him. Uh, we can briefly talk about the fake boogeyman. Like, I like the idea of there being fan scenes for serial killers and, like, fans that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, would uh, actually risk their life to show up to understand them. Now, like, as soon as we got the whole idea that there was going to be a convention of serial killers i and i had that thought like right off the bat there's got to be people in there who aren't really serial killers but who are going to say they're serial killers just so they can be around them and that's exactly yeah. what we get like neil yeah. gaiman had already done what i thought of so, yeah <laughs> again there's a little mini story arc you know like a, a tiny tiny a few panel here and there of another serial killer in the comics that like he he showed up hoping to like stop! <laughs> he thought these people are gonna like help Reforming. him understand himself. Right. Uh, well, like 
he he knows that they they're not gonna like help him stop, but he thought you know they would help him understand why he's doing it, so he can stop. Uh, the character is still in the show. He's the character that talk about like like uh, he used to he used to like rip up his porn magazine, and the first time he had a sexual encounter, oh, he did the same yeah, thing. and then he was just ripping character. up the women. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's that character. No, uh, like the idea of like a serial killer is anonymous, like where they go to try to help understand each other. That that is Chuck Palatnik. That's what Chuck Palatnik would do. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, definitely. And, and it's also Neil Gaiman, you know? Like, I think he toned himself down later in the thing, but like, uh, like funny real-life version of like really scary shit is... <laughs> is also no, Neil that Gaiman. like dark and twisted and funny at the same time, that's that's my jam, man. I'm all for yeah. it. Um, and what I want to mention is like, if you think fans of like serial killers are like funny or over the top, they exist. Oh yeah, they're and even real. like, <laughs> yeah, even like fanzines, like in in Japan, like they are yakuza fanzine. <laughs> yep. You know, <laughs> so it's not so out of the ordinary. All right. So after we talk about the entire serial convention and stuff, let's talk about Jed and Lida and. You were curious why I was putting them together in the notes because their storyline were actually together that they split off. Um, so, okay, how do I even start? Uh, okay, what do you, first of all, what do you think of um, Jed's storyline and Lighter's storyline? Well, Jed, they're very separate. The Jed storyline, um, it felt a lot like the Sandman you were trying to describe to me, the, like the much darker, grittier cynical view of humanity version of the sandman like here jed's life is the worst he's being abused in the most horrific way um mm -hmm. i mean there's no sexual assault but still it's really bad um yeah. and i i kind of appreciated that the show went there yep. um and i like the idea that in his dreams it was a way to escape um yep. and we'll talk more about galt later but like the idea that she would give him a, a sanctuary, you know? Um, I thought that worked really well. Uh, I, and I liked him as a character. He was really interesting. Um, I thought he was a little too happy go lucky for somebody who's being abused that badly. Um, cause when he, you know, breaks free and then he's with yeah. Yeah. Rose and he's with Corinthian, he seems like a normal kid again. And that, that's, yeah. that doesn't really jive, but still, I think I mean, the implication is that his rich dream life kept him sane and Galt helped him you know maintain his yeah. innocence that's a good way to look at it okay yeah he kind of reminded me of um oh god walt kind of reminded me of walt <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah fair enough uh, uh so what about lighter lighter hall uh it's like i'm i'm still really surprised that jed and lighter have anything to do with each other because in the show i don't i don't even think they meet do they <laughs> like, no um, no not at all at first, I, I I didn't understand. Like, I got that she was grieving her husband um, yeah. and hallucinating him in her dreams, kind of. I didn't really appreciate where that storyline was going. I thought it was just kind of... She seemed like a really ancillary character at first. Like, she didn't... She just seemed like a hanger-on. Like, somebody who was just yeah. there with Rose, like, as a sidekick. Um, yeah. But then when, when her storyline really starts to accelerate and you start to realize that the person that she's talking to in her dreams really is Hector um, as a ghost yep. and that she can get pregnant in her dreams and stuff like that. Like that was, that's when it came really, really interesting. And I really got more involved in who Lida was. 
And then she drops out of the story for like an episode. <laughs> she doesn't come back until towards <laughs> the end. Um, that kind of bothered me because just as she was getting interested, we moved off. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's where I stand. Okay. So <laughs> bear with me because this is going to be a very complicated explanation. Yeah. I'm, that I'm... pulled together real world history, comic book history, and <laughs> references to uh, things that. Neil Gaiman wanted to do, but couldn't. Uh, okay, so you know how how I told you that Sandman was originally a uh, dear audience. Do you remember how I told all of you that um, Sandman was originally established DC characters that um, Neil Gaiman was told to reboot in any way, shape, or form, Cartier Blanche to your heart's content, and he came up with this gothic um, horror uh, fairy tale story that is. Sandman that we're experiencing now. The original Sandman is just pulp heroes. I have briefly talked about the Silver Age. Uh, Silver Age is like usually the middle of the uh, comic book history. Golden Age is the beginning. Um, Silver Age um, Sandman, uh, which who have like a gas mask and he's essentially Green Hornet and use knockout gas to uh, fight evil doers and sprinkle sand on them. And in the comics, they reference this super early in the the very first story arc, which is called Preludes and Nocturne. Okay, this is a direct reference to Golden Age Sandman. The costume Jet wears in the Dreamland, where he's the he's the Sandman. I think they call himself. He call, he does call himself the Sandman, right? He does. Yeah, he calls himself Sandman. Yeah. That is what the first Sandman in the comics looked like. Like not in Neil Gaiman's Sandman comic when it used to be just called Sandman and written by somebody else. That's what that's what the Sandman looked like in the Neil Gaiman's comic or this story arc, what he did was he integrated, there were two Golden Age Sandman. He, he integrated both of them into the story as there is no Galt in the comics. Galt is a combination of two characters called Brute and Glob. Very similar story, slightly different motivation in that they, they are both dream creatures, not so much nightmare creature that escaped the dream world and uh, is living in Jed's mind, living in Jed's imagination in his dreams. But uh, whereas Galt is kind of trying to take care of him, Brood and Glob is just trying to be masters of their own little dream domain. Uh, so they've they got their own little pocket dream domain. Yeah, okay. Yes. And Brood and Glob was also recurring characters in the original Sandman comics. So he also took that from the original uh, okay. Golden Age Sandman and then made them dream world. And what he retroactively did was say every single thing that happened with the, in the original Golden Age Sandman is Brood and Glob's adventures in Jet's dream world. That's pretty fun. But the first Sandman killed himself. That <laughs> he couldn't handle Not the strain so of <laughs> yeah, he couldn't handle the strain of his dream life and his uh, original thingy. So, um, so Brute and like Brute, and, uh, I don't know if in the actual comic he killed himself, but in the uh, Neil Gaiman reusing of the original comic, right? They, he killed himself. So Brute and God, casually casually mentioned that we don't see any of that. But there is a second Sandman. But all they what they did was they stole the soul of a dying man and trapped him inside Jet's dream. That is that was Hector Hall. The second Sandman, Hector Hall, is the Sandman uh, in the comic. He Jet doesn't wear the costume, but Hector Hall does. And Lighter Hall was you might know who Lighter Hall is when I tell you her maiden name, Light Lighter Trevor. He she is Wonder Woman's daughter. 
She's Wonder Woman's oh, Steve Trevor's daughter. Okay. <laughs> and that, that's and the the actress having uh, the same accent as um Gal Gadot in the yeah. show is a direct reference to that because the one of the showrunner also wrote the original Wonder Woman movie. So everything come back together. <laughs> That's kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I told you it's very complicated, but when you see the whole picture, it is very funny. <laughs> so once again, it, in the comic, is way darker because Lyta kind of knows that Hector died. Uh, but when she encountered him in the dream and Hector uh, is like, it, Hector thing is real. She willingly, like Lyta in the show, she willingly went with him to live in his dream world. And in the dream world, she has been pregnant for like six years. So they just live this recall, recover, like recurring pulp action um, serial life in the dream world in which she's slowly losing herself to live uh, Hector's dream of being a successful superhero, you know? Right. So like, once again, I told you, like, the first two story arc, they are no happy couple or functional couples in the Sandman <laughs> comic. So even though Lyda love Hector very much, like, they don't, uh, like, there is whole sad internal monologue of she's like, oh, you know, he's so busy, like, he doesn't really touch me anymore. You know, like, it's just, it's just this insane, you know, like, midlife crisis-inducing domesticity, <laughs> but through the lens of, like, a superhero couple, which is, a really interesting take and absolutely something they cannot do in this show. <laughs> I completely <laughs> understand. <laughs> so that's the part where they split up because what happened to Lyda and uh, the kid, you might have guessed the way the story ended it is important to later storylines. Yeah, they definitely so they set it up. Yeah. Out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they can't they can't cut her out, but they have to they can't have Wonder Woman's daughter in it either. <laughs> And I thought they would cut out all the reference to the Golden Age Sandman, but Jet showing up as the Golden Age Sandman costume. That, that was neat. That they, they, they still maintain some of the comic things as well, you know? So yeah, I, I thought, thought that was, was a fun. very good yeah. adaptation. I hope my explanation made sense overall. I think so. I think I followed you for the most part. It's so complicated. I have questions, uh, but I'm not going to ask them because I don't want to be here all night. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So. That leads us directly to Galt, who is a combination of Brute and Glob. And once again, this is... Uh, I feel like as the show continue on, the more and it's more and more I like the changes they make. This is a better change. No, because... I really, really like the character of Galt. The idea of a nightmare that's broken free and really just wants to be a happy dream. Doesn't want to be a nightmare. Wants to... Yes. Wants to be on the lighter side of dreams. Um and then at first sandman rejects that says no you have to be what you are um yeah but then comes around in the end uh it's part of his character arc that we'll talk about in a minute um but yeah. i really appreciate that i really thought that that made her very interesting um yeah 100 percent. well let's talk about it now because the the storyline of galt dream and the conridium is the central theme of this story arc and Really, if you think about it, this show in general, which is your function in life and your desire in life, and how much how much should you be bound by function, right? Right. Like, because that's what that's that's exactly what Dream was struggling with in the sound of her wings. Because uh, he, for the first time ever, he had like purpose outside of his function. He had a quest, right. and now he's aimless. Now he's like, well, I just you know, 
goes back to being day-to-day dream of the dream world. <laughs> uh, but he had that delicious bread. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? You know, like uh, for dream especially is hard because like it, it is a very common human struggle. You know, it, it, what I just described is a midlife crisis. You know? Well, totally, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not but, that I know uh, anything about that. <laughs> right, I mean, <laughs> my hair is red for a reason. Um, <laughs> but uh, for dream, especially so, because he is dream. His function is his name. Like it's all, that's all he has, you know. So that also tug on the thing of like, oh, he's a very powerful mythical figure that is even beyond gods. But he's also like the most pitiful. Uh, creature in the world because he is entirely bound like all of the analysts by their function um, and then we see Galt and Corinthian set against each other two people who are what also struggling with their function but whereas Corinthian is like kind of going overboard he, he just think he could serve his function better in the real world actually killing people instead of in the dream world uh Right. I mean, they have like opposite approaches. Yeah. Like, yeah, Corinthian wants to be even more than he is, whereas Galt wants to be something else. Yeah. I'm just prompting you to say something instead of nodding because you've been nodding a lot. Sorry. This yep. <laughs> uh, because uh, if you don't verbalize, I came up unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'll just delete all my audio and the whole thing will just be you ranting. yeah Uh, but for Galt she wants to break out of uh, well they because I don't know what they they identify as I guess they want to break out of their function as a nightmare they they don't want to be three they don't want to do things anymore and you're right like the arc of uh, dream coming to accept that you like maybe I don't think he's all the way there like I don't need to be bound by my function but he's at least being like well I don't need to force my creation to be bound by their function because I can change that. Like I have the power to let them be different, you know? <laughs> right. He's starting to understand that change is a thing that he can allow to happen. Like he doesn't have to fight it. At least to other people. Yeah. Like he hasn't really made that full jump to himself, but like, yeah, yeah. He's just understanding that change isn't necessarily a bad thing that he has to fight against at every, at every turn. It is, it is like a conservative parent uh, trying to learn that they, it's okay for their kids to have a better life than them. <laughs> <laughs> you have to wrong. let Nemo go! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, and whereas in the comic, Brood and Club is just trying to like, once again, they just, another version of the Corinthian. So this change, uh, this parallel of uh, packing them against each other and how Dream, in dealing with Corinthian, rethink how he dealt with Galt, it's a good it's a good arc. It's a good uh change. I loved it. No, this is one of those changes where I was I'm really surprised that Galt is not really from the comics. Like the because mm. Galt's great. I mean like yeah. she fits in yeah. perfectly with the story that's being told. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about the entire turning into a butterfly and flying away thing though. I thought that was that visual wasn't that great. But <laughs> <laughs> But the sentiment is awesome. It did uh, kind of feel like in that last episode, the CG budget was running low. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the analysts. Uh, Dream 
get used to it for a show called Sandman is barely in this story arc. And that does happen a lot. I would say in the comics, uh, Dream is in about 50% of the comic. <laughs> I mean, I Maybe felt like 60. in this storyline, it was justified. Like, he, he does explain it away in the beginning. Like, look, you know, I've just gotten back to my realm. I got to be here. Um, and that that works. And then he's still able to interact with Rose in her dreams. Um, so he's still around. And then in the end, like it's all it all like focuses back on him. Like he, his story arc is the central story arc we're following um, mm-hmm. and everything relates back to it. So I, I feel like his presence was was there enough. Like he didn't need to be in every scene. But they beef it up on the show. In the comic, he's even in it less. I can see that. <laughs> like the, the whole story arc between him not being used to like uh, Lu- like Lucian kind of running things for him, that's entirely made up for the show. Really? And once again, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once again, like comic, comic dream would have just unmade Lucian if, if, if he, right. decided, like if he decided Lucian was running things instead of him. <laughs> I cannot stress this with my enough. The comic Sandman does not care about things. <laughs> <laughs> it's not until like the second half of the comics that he starts to really care. Uh, um, what do you think of that arc? Um, it does feel a little quick. It feels a little unearned. Um, yeah. Especially when you get into the, the the bonus episode and it feels like his character is fully changed over. Um, yeah. But we'll get there. <laughs> But yeah, like I appreciate it and narratively it works, but at the same time for like a long form storytelling, like a show, it feels rushed. It feels like you have to spend a little bit more time, especially with a character who is endless, who has been around forever. He's not going to change in a couple of years or even like a couple of episodes, which is like what a couple of weeks, maybe. Yeah. Um, But like I said, narratively, it makes sense. Thematically, it makes sense. Um, I don't know. I just felt rushed. Yeah, and I, I'm colored by my um, preconceived notions of the comics, definitely. But I didn't really like it because I'm like, it, it made Dream kind of look petulant, you know? <laughs> like, uh, because if he just like, no, you're not going to be doing that. It doesn't make him like a dick, which kind of understandable with the kind of powerful being he is. But the way he's like, uh. No, I don't like it. And then later he's like apologizing, but in a like a like a childish way. I, I don't I don't like that. Um I liked it more when it came to like Lucian or Lucian. Um when he only goes to her because he needs something. Um yeah. he only he doesn't really apologize. He comes really close and like yeah. but it's I don't know. That made sense to me. That worked for me. I didn't feel like that was rushed. It was when he, in the end, is is making Galt the beautiful butterfly wings and all that. That's when it felt way too far. Like they took the character arc, they like skipped a few chapters of his character arc. You know, mm-hmm. that's where mm-hmm. it felt to me like it was a problem. Well, and you're right that they also kind of trying to um, have the cake and eat it too. You alluded to some of the comments from the uh, episode eleven. But even in this even in this arc, uh, Lucien herself say, "Oh, I he always he was always like this. Like I just forgot him because he's been away for so long. Like he's always kind of been terrible and dismissive." But uh, we we've just been told, not shown. <laughs> That's true. Well, we haven't really seen him be the dick that everybody says he was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and 
depends on how because the seven comic isn't always linear. It depends on how comfortable they are with going back and telling us stories from the past. We might or might not see that asshole set. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we have already had flashbacks with Hop Gatling and stuff, so they're willing to do at least some. Yeah, and we've still got some unresolved storylines with um, you know, Lady uh Constantine and yep. Shakespeare and all that. So Yep, that's true. Uh and ironically, the Hop Gatling episode is about how nice he is now, not, <laughs> not about how terrible he used to be. Um, uh, so let's talk about the other denizens of the dream world. That, and this is my one of my biggest complaints about this story arc. They, it's clearly because of budget constraint. They talk about how many varied and numerous dream creatures there are in the dreaming. Uh, with the senses taking, but we only see <laughs> Lucien, Matthew, and Marvin Pumpkinhead. And we see like Kane, or no, not Kane, Abel. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, but, that's uh, it. <laughs> we don't see anybody else. It's kind of like when we went to hell. It's like they're just background. Like we don't really see them, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. To be fair, like in comics, it's, you just draw in weird figures in the background. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, here every single new character is a massive hit to the CGI budget. But um, that being said, though, like they 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 are once again introducing Marvin Pumpkinhead early. Like he's he's not in the this part of the comics yet. And before people who know the comics deep down, I know he shows up for like one panel in a <laughs> in somebody else's dream by uh, driving a bus. But he like he hasn't been introduced properly yet. But like there are characters like uh, the fashion thing and stuff that I want to see. Like and Eve is Eve like Eve like Eve, Eve lives in Dreamland. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's the characters that I I kind of want to see. And I felt like the census taking was a great chance to like introduce them because right now the dreaming look barren. <laughs> like we barely see people's dreams that much, other than like. Uh, when we see the dreams of the dollhouse inhabitants, they don't have other creatures in it. They were just their dreams. Well, the Barbie had that weird creature. That oh, she was with. yeah, yeah. But you're right. I, I mean, I get what you're saying. Even when we go to uh, the the dream house of um, Lyda and Hector, it's it's a neat house, but it's like in the middle of a field of nothing. <laughs> like it's pretty, yeah. but there's nothing there. Uh, it's kind of barren. Um, so I get what you're saying, but I did. There were times where, uh, like when Rose was going through dreams, where there was more visually interesting things happening. Um, like when we're at the the serial convention and the the various serial killers are all dreaming at the same time and they like converge. I thought there was some interesting stuff there. It was a little bit too small. Like it was just like the, everybody was in a cramped room and the three cramped rooms became one cramped room. Um, yep. But it still was visually interesting, um, and I, I I thought there was something there. Uh, but I get what you're saying, and I do feel like there are some budgetary constraints that are the problem. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, Bobby's uh, big furry creature is called Martin Tambones, and he's the best of spoils, and we love him, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Whatever. He's so fuzzy <laughs> and huge. Um uh, Okay, so let's continue on to Desire now that we know a lot more about them. What do you think? Okay, well, um, along the same lines of what you were just talking about, I really hate that all we ever see of Desire's realm is this one room of just like, yeah. you know, red curtains and 
you know, lip shaped furniture. It's it's boring. There's nothing to look at <laughs> except desire. Um, well, that, I mean, you say that, but the giant uh, flesh cathedral of herself she lives in is awesome. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that the room is the heart. She's in the heart. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. It is. You're right. It is a heart shaped. Yeah. But still, like, I feel like I don't know. I feel like I wanted to see more than just that one room. Um, like we got the one shot, the one panning shot where we zoom in, but that's all we get. Uh, I don't know. And as for desire themselves, fantastic. Uh, no complaints there. Um, like you were talking about in the last episode, they're a dramatic bitch and that's fine. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a lot and to say because there's not really a lot to go on. I only have a few scenes to go on. <laughs> So this is this is a scene that is a little bit lost in the medium because uh, in the comics there's like a narration bubble and uh, uh, after the speech like the great bit is like uh, uh, like De uh, desire was like you know genuinely scared for a second but uh, as soon as dream leaves like she she just she just back to her old shit because that's <laughs> desire's nature you know <laughs> like she's like. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that when 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 Dream confronted them and said, you know, look, you think you can you really think you're more powerful than me and yeah. desire uh no. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. That was a the moment of honesty, you know? <laughs> Yeah. 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 Um but uh, so you know how I talk about like okay, uh, let's talk about despair first. Um so we also fully meet despair. What do you think of despair? Um I know this was written before but yep. I can't help but think that she is sadness from inside out. <laughs> like it's exactly <laughs> the same, only like, you know, able to tear her cheek open. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I could, I could not separate the two in my head. Like she is sadness. Like in my head, she's a big blue ball. Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so I'll send you a picture of uh, despair from the comics in the chat. So you can tell me whether or not they they uh, made a good choice changing. This is despairs from the comic. And uh, to our dear listeners, we are looking at an entirely nude, um, let's just say a uh, very large lady with many folds, uh, hold, have, wearing nothing but a, a ring that is a fish hook. Right. So I think that's something they needed to tone down and i think they did the right job and also they put real thought into her costume design she does look like despair personified and she is wearing crocs the shoes of despair <laughs> yes yes she is that's <laughs> just part of her self-mutilation she has to wear crocs yeah <laughs> yeah and you look at her jumper and like okay <laughs> this might be a bit too real, but you you can kind of feel that jumper, right? You're like, this is one of those jumpers where you're like, this is fuzzy and warm, and it make me feel safe. But you are where you have worn it too long, and that is kind of itchy. <laughs> you, you get it? Like I look at this and I'm like, oh yeah, all right, that is just bad. <laughs> I get the sense that she smells really bad. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, in the comic description of it, um, it says um, despair herself smells like nothing, but her shadow smells musky and damp. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, the reason I wanted to talk about despair first is 
even though the show is trying to uh, undercut a lot of the negative or like cynical view of the world, they can't change the endless. And if you really think about it, saying there are seven endless that are formed by um, things and concepts and experience that are integral to the life of all living things, not just humans, and they are <laughs> death, desire, dream, uh, the protocol, who I won't mention yet, and uh, despair, delirium, delirium, and desire. None and of destiny. It's like, it's, yeah. And none of it is, like, it's not love, it's desire. And she, they are evil. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, there is no... Uh, Every single love story in Sandman doesn't end well because it's desire's domain. And so, like, <laughs> the way the endless structure is already a very bleak view of the world. And I, <laughs> they can't undo that, like, unless they redeem despair, uh, the desire at some point, which they kind of already did, I guess, with like Unity and like, them living a full life with Unity in dreams instead of raping her. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> all I'm saying is the endless is already a very goth concept. <laughs> Well, I mean, even the the word choice saying despair instead of love. I mean, yeah, you have to start with a D for some reason. But um, despair is such a greedy, or not despair, desire is such a greedy emotion. It's not not a reciprocal idea, you know? It's like, these are the things I want. You know, it's lust, it's greed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and she described as never the the possession, always the possessor. Right, that makes sense. Uh, And... uh, People should go read the comics. It's so good. It is just <laughs> insanely good. Um, so we got a couple of name drops. Well, we haven't met Destiny. Uh, we know that he's oldest of the Endless. That's information we've been told. Right. Uh, we haven't met Delirium. We know she's youngest of the uh, Endless. Um, and we have one missing D-word Endless that have left. We don't truly know what that means. But they just call that person the prodigal right and they're all just waiting to see the prodigal return right yeah i mean like look i could mention the name of the prodigal like it's not really that big of a like twist or anything but i'm just just gonna leave it um uh so what do you think what do you think we will see like how do you imagine destiny how do you imagine delirium delirium i have a hard time picturing destiny Destiny's really that's a vague concept. Like, I don't see how you personify destiny. Delirium, on the other hand, I would love to see delirium. Like, I'm thinking full on, moody, crazy, um, something like uh, uh, the God of Madness from the Elder Scrolls games, or oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, know what you're talking about, yeah, yeah, the, the Mad Hatter, you know, something like that. I'm thinking somebody who is like, it's not even, it's not even madness. It's more of just like manic energy that's that's kind of what i want to see from delirium um so i have no idea and like i said for destiny i I can't even really form an idea of what destiny would be (laughs) well destiny is um not very exciting visually i'm afraid but you're going to love delirium delirium is my favorite analyst oh okay that's Uh, the one i'm the most meeting (laughs) yeah um i think you will meet both destiny and delirium uh, early next season, uh, but the prodigal not for a little while yet. I, I'm imagining Destiny. Is it like? Would it be like an old man or something? Uh, well, don't, you don't have you're to not tell too me. Far. Okay. <laughs> All right. 
Okay, so let's move on to... Oh, well, uh, before episode 11, because this is clearly the way the season's supposed to end, we get a little tease of, like, hell just talking shit. So what do you think about this tease? Um, I mean, yeah. (laughs) I don't know. There's not much to it. You've got the Azazel, or Azazel, yeah, um, who can't leave hell. So why not just expand the boundaries of hell to consume that everything? That doesn't make any sense. You have to leave hell to invade other places. Exactly, yes. Uh, I was going to say that. <laughs> That's not from the comics. <laughs> That's nonsense. That made up on the show. <laughs> um, I do like that it, it seems like Lucifer is in kind of a trap. Like, that she has to act. In a, like, she can't do nothing. Like, she has to... She has to... She's She's basically being led on to do whatever she wants to do, like whatever she's going to do. Um, and I yep. like that. She says, whatever she's going to do is going to piss off God. Um, that's great. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the energy. I start all of my morning. With. <laughs> whatever I do today is going to piss off God. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, man, the, the promise of more Gwendolyn Christie's Lucifer going forward. I'm all there, man. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I do want to caution people into this. Think about the stuff Neil Gaiman write, and think about the kind of things Neil Gaiman produce. Do not expect an outright uh, Battle of Gondor style <laughs> battle between the Dreaming and Hell, okay? Yeah, that's, that's yeah. not how it's going to go. <laughs> I have no idea what the show is going to do, but I assure you that's not how it will go. <laughs> yeah, this is more of the realm of like, uh, conspiracies and betrayal yeah. and yeah it's not like armies like they mention an army but that's we're not going to see armies fighting and also if you know how the lucifer spin-off works even the terrible tv show because they do start at the same spot you know what's going to happen you don't need you to talk about that anymore i don't want your internet <laughs> connection dying <laughs> <laughs> um okay so let's talk about this secret episode they dropped on us which is a two-parter the first one is Dream of a Thousand Cats, which is animated. Oh, and I should also bring in a mention because we're going to start talking about voice actor. Marvin Pumpkinhead is voiced by Mark Hamill. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that. <laughs> um, and anyway, Dream of a Thousand Cats. Uh, what did you think of this? It was neat. I mean, it was short. This is like, it was only like 10 minutes long, I think. Um, but that's because it's animated. It was just a neat little, it, was, it felt like a short story. Um that was only loosely tied to the Sandman. But the idea that like enough people dreaming can change the whole fabric of reality as it has always been and always will be um, is kind of interesting. And mm-hmm. the way that it shows cats as wanting to just play with little tiny humans is is kind of funny and creepy and i don't yeah. know i like it <laughs> the la- the last shot of like the little kitten going crunch do whatever that was awesome his- i'm that so was glad they did that i was i was worried that they were going to show the actual dream and I'm, i was like no don't do that just just show her not noshing down on a on yeah. thin air it, that's perfect is exactly what i wanted <laughs> straight out of the comic frame good <laughs> <laughs> it's so good so uh, for people who are like, how does this work? Don't think too hard about it. No. <laughs> for Sandman in general, don't think too hard about like, like 
the world of Sandman mostly makes sense, but it also deals in metaphor and storytelling, and it also is it deals in like the power of telling stories and that power of telling stories to, and the ability to fit as much conflicting storytelling as possible into the space will always triumph over internal mutable logic. That's true to all of Neil Gaiman's work. Like, go read American Gods, you know, how they are God on every single continent and stuff. Okay, so the thing that I kind of like about it is that, that subtextually um, there's this idea of, uh, you know, changing the system as it is now through through dreams, through, you know, having mm-hmm. dreams and enough people getting together and sharing yeah. those dreams can change the world. Great. Yeah. Um, and there's yeah. even like a little nod to it's Beatrix a communist Potter. metaphor. <laughs> there's even a nod to Beatrix Potter, so it's it's even worse. Yeah. It's very woke. <laughs> yeah. so, <laughs> we're we're kidding, by the way. When you say worse, he's <laughs> you know these are new listeners. But anyway, go on. Uh, no, and like that that also comes back in when we talk about Calliope, the second half, um, even more directly. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's that's a lot of what the show is about is about how to change your reality, how to change the yes. things that are wrong in your story. Yeah. Yeah. And if you really can't reconcile um, the idea that enough people or enough creatures dreaming together can change reality into the myth, just think of it as maybe dream in the comics is very possible that because dream is a bit of a dick, maybe <laughs> dream was just fucking with that cat. That's uh, possible. In the, <laughs> and, in the uh, TV show, you can take it like this. Dream, knowing that the world is hard, harsh and unfair, and that is the way it is, and not caring that much about it, took pity on this poor cat and gave her life a purpose. Uh, and and a, a dream of having power over her lot in life. So now, because now she's a prophet that is respected by cats instead of a, a cat mother who's kittens were like unceremoniously murdered by a dick (laughs) (laughs) yeah that guy's awful (laughs) so that's the way i you could take it the way i take it is cats used to be in charge (laughs) (laughs) sometimes it feels like they still are (laughs) um um, some interesting voice acting in this uh yeah there's a naked james James mcavoy yeah (laughs) Yes. For all our female listeners. <laughs> yes. Uh, James McAvoy voice Sandman, uh, voice Dream in the audible version of uh, of the story. And if you like this, uh, you should go listen to it. Even if you read the comic, it's a much more faithful interpretation of the comic. It is still set in the DC universe. It keeps all the superheroes and stuff. Uh, and it's really good. Uh, and the skeletal bird is Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman himself. I recognized his yeah. voice instantly. It's like, oh my god, that's Neil Gaiman. <laughs> Sarah O oh is the Siamese cat. Um, I, I can't remember the rest of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't remember the rest of them. But yeah, those are the big ones. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Calliope then. Okay. What did you think of this? Because um, it is a bit confronting. Uh, this one... Uh... This one made me feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because you're a writer. Yeah. Um, Are you keeping somebody in your attic? <laughs> you have an attic? I'm going to come check. I'm going to fly to America and come check. You don't have to worry until I become a famous author. <laughs> <laughs> then you can worry. <laughs> I, 
fucking hate it whenever there's a character in in real life or in a story who's a writer and they talk about how oh no i got rejected seven times before this got published i've been rejected like 150 fucking times yeah i was like i was like seven times this cry me a fucking river (laughs) i only write articles and i've been rejected more than seven times (laughs) um but no that aside like this was a really cool um it's one of those like thought experiments, magical realism stories that Neil Gaiman does so damn well. Um, it didn't even need to be tied into Sandman, but I, I kind of liked it when it towards the end, it really did become Sandman. Um, but I, I like the, the, the idea that if a muse were real and you really could control a muse and have a muse give you what you need, then is that really people are terrible <laughs> is that really your accomplishment or is that just yeah. you enslaving somebody i really like yeah. how that just becomes the metaphor that this whole narrative is built upon um and i like where they go with it um and J- derek jacoby is in it <laughs> that's great he's a he's a famous shakespearean actor um i don't know i i did really like it and i like that there was this sad this this deep sadness to calliope this like you know yeah uh, and and the idea that at first he's like no just just this once just this once we'll yeah. do it and then i'll let you go and then of course he never does because all writers are liars that is true by the way <laughs> <laughs> not me I, I write about video games <laughs> <laughs> you mean you lie about video games <laughs> yeah <laughs> no i really really liked it a lot um I felt it was a little slow after after you leave Derek Jacoby before it starts to really escalate. There is a time jump, but I feel like it's still kind of slow. But then that ending, holy shit, when like Sandman punishes him by giving him ideas that are just vomiting out of him and he can't stop. Mm. That is terrifying to me. I love it. Yeah. It's just such a cool idea. And that had to be a bitch to write. <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, um, I want more okay, of this. so I'm gonna yes, I want to go a little bit into some of the details and stuff. Um, I like it too. Um, it is toned down. The original one was a lot more rapey. <laughs> I could, yeah. Uh, there's definitely a lot of rape subtext, but they don't really say it. And I had a feeling you were gonna tell me that there was more rape yeah. in the. Well, comic. I think I think it's more than subtext. They don't show it, but like after he goes upstairs, like he come back and he had like a scratch on his face. Uh, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, it's more than subtext. But I I wonder like I there's a lot of discussion and uh, dialogue about it on online and. Uh, I mean, some people are not arguing from like a good faith perspective. We can ignore these, but there there are some good faith arguments on both sides. Uh, in that, in in taking away the confronting aspect of it, are we really are we taking away some of its power, and are we actually like toning it down? Because, like you said, right, like some people might not even realize there's a rape subtext, like you know, uh, and honestly. It's, it's right for them to tone it down, but I worry if maybe if they tone it down too much, you know, especially because they uh, they, they did do one thing great. They they like it. Like she said, like, oh, I, saw, I see you've also been in prison like me. And he's like, my suffering is nothing. Nothing compared to yours, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is not a line in the comic. Remember, Dream is a dick in the comic. <laughs> 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 um, and 
I mean, overall, it is still great. And how awful uh, Erasmus is great. Uh, and how he like, I himself. blocked her up just because I couldn't stand looking at that sad face. That was that yeah. was something else, man. Yeah. Um, okay, so let, let's talk about some of the details. Like, Bazaar is an actual thing people who fancy themselves alchemists uh, believe that can actually cure uh, uh, poison. Uh, it worked for Harry Potter, history. man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, like, um, I think he saved Ron's life with it. It was He's Ron, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, in Half Blood Prince, um, and also in real life as well. Like, because I I've never known my grandfather. Uh, he passed away before I was born, but he actually did fancy himself an alchemist. I'm not saying alchemy is real. I'm saying there are people in real life who believe alchemy is real. Okay, um, and yeah, like some of the stuff like the Philosopher's Stone and Bazaar are just straight out of those myths. Um, and it is a real thing that does happen when sometimes animals or uh, sometimes people, uh, Rapunzel syndrome is real, um, eat their own hair. It does create this thing, this stone or bizarre in their stomach. There was a great um, house episode about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do remember. Yeah, I have seen that episode, what you're talking about. So what do you think happened to Erasmus? Do you think he was, do you think he was suicidal because of how awful he, he was to come out of me? Do you think, do you think he's being like, Kind of. Like, do you think he got the bazaar because he want like he want the ability to like try to kill himself, but choose not to at the last minute because he poisoned himself in the end. Yeah, I know he poisoned himself. I never really put a lot of thought into it, like why he got the bazaar. Um... Because a bazaar is like <laughs> ignoring that Calliope is a person <laughs> in the context of the story. And in Erasmus' head, Calliope is a much more valuable uh, possession than a bazaar. It's super weird to me that he traded Calliope well, away to him before. For whatever reason, she's not working for him anymore. Like he hadn't been published in a while and all of his books were out of print. So Calliope had become useless to him for reasons that don't really get explained. Um, yeah. And I think that that, that was probably part of a downward spiral of depression. Um which is why he poisoned himself. But yeah, I'm not really sure about the Bezor. I don't really know why he got it. Okay, moving on to Richard. Uh, in the comics, he is a bit hesitant. Like he's is clearly not as much of a outright like monster already. But he did bring Calliope home, and like the first, like the, the there was a line he says like the first thing he did was nervously rape her. Um, so uh, what a lovely human more, being. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, once again, the comic book has a very bleak <laughs> understanding <laughs> and view of humanity in itself, which is probably not too far from the truth, I hate to admit. Uh, <laughs> um, because, like, remember, these guys are, like, trying to be rich and famous, and they legitimately think Calliope is not a person. Just right, that's how they rationalize it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think this story is how you can adapt the spirit of the Salmon story in such a good modern relevancy um, way because he thinks he's a good guy. You know, he still thinks he's a good guy. Um, and that motherfucker, when he's talking to the reporters and when he's describing himself as a feminist, it make my skin fucking crawl. <laughs> and like, and they they chose such a good actor because he's Rory from Doctor Who. So I, I already love the character, the actor. So like, <laughs> It, it, it makes me so angry. 
<laughs> they did a real good job. I was just mad the whole time. I'm like, this motherfucker. And when the thing, the terrible thing I knew was going to happen to him happened to him, I was like, good. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't last long enough, really. Yeah. But what, what he left with is... Uh, I thought they were going to take that away because when uh, when uh, Dream agreed to drop his curse, um, I thought because they're trying to Dream nicer, maybe they will restore him to full. But Dream is clearly following the letter of the law, right? He's, yeah, he, still he wanted, wanted to, to punish the guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did like so his last his... line of "I have no idea." I have no idea. Yeah. That's a great way yeah, to end. That's it. Good. So good. So good. Um, so I do you have anything to add on Rickard and his storyline other than that he's an absolute bastard and in this current world of Me Too and kind of stuff that have come up about like people like allegedly about people like Joss Whedon, who I also used to respect, <laughs> this hit really, really close to home. What did you think? No, for sure. I mean, it was very relevant and it was it leaned into it. Um, it was very obvious, uh, especially in towards the end calliope has this line where i'm going to rewrite the rules that were made by men or something like that uh yeah yeah that we had no say in that bound bind us yeah right which yeah. you know fair enough man <laughs> like, uh, it's a good line and not in the comic but also a good luck because zeus is not gonna agree to that. <laughs> yeah they've got their own patriarchy to worry about yeah yeah <laughs> zook is a monster <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's quickly talk about mythology with Calliope. So what do you think of their, them combining the mythology, existing mythology, into Sandman mythology? It, it makes sense in the world of the Sandman on I, its own. Yeah. It does. Um, because, you know, myths and dreams and all these things are, are real in like that stream of consciousness kind of way. Like you, like you were saying yeah. earlier, you don't think too much about how the logistics work. Um, yeah. You just kind of go with it. And that works. Yeah. It, it works for me. It works um, in this universe. Uh, yeah. I did. I found it really interesting that there's a, a, a very significant backstory that is talked about, but not really fully explained um, mm -hmm. where they had a son. Uh, yeah. Orpheus. They, yep. So um, if you, you, I know, you know, but for the audience, uh, if, if you don't know your mythology uh, or need brushing up, Orpheus is, the guy who loved died and he goes to the underworld to rescue her, but there was an instruction to not to, to not turn around and look at her until they're back in the um, the real world and he misheard the instructions because he's a doofus. <laughs> and um, he turned around to look at her when they got to Upper Tartarus, Upper Hades, and um, therefore doomed her to an eternity um, in Hades. And he also got ripped apart uh, later by uh some furies <laughs> right only his head was left alive and clearly some of that tragedy we don't know in which form has happened because they do talk about the death of their son yeah and how their relationship broke uh, fell apart the one thing is though he does call her she does call him husband and i don't think in the comics they never say husband i think they were just together i don't remember her saying husband i'll take your word for it um and also in mythology uh Orpheus father is sometimes implied to be Apollo, sometimes implied to be a king, um, not linked to Hypnos. Uh, or the, well, Hypnos is their god of sleep. Morpheus is also their um, god of dream, so not right. linked to Morpheus. But Calliope was always his mother in any version of the mythology. Yep. So uh, it seems to me that way in Simon Universe work, any god of dream or sleep is our dream, Morpheus. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that works. Um, so uh, that is not something they're going to ignore. This is a plot thread they will read. Well, I would, they would have to, yeah. <laughs> 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 They've also got to go back to Nada at some point, explain that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I guess now we know that um, Dream does have relationships from time to time, and they never end well. Jeez, I wonder who's behind all that. (laughs) 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 Um, Okay, so that is the um, end of all the episode we have so far. What do you think about ongoing? What do you think about the continuation of this story? Because (laughs) right now, as we're recording this episode, Netflix has not committed to renewing it yet, even though it has been like number one in the world in like 70 countries for like two weeks straight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Neil Gaiman's even sounding the alarm. You know, like, yeah. wait a minute, this hasn't happened yet. I yeah. I do really love this show. I, I really like its blend of fantasy and magical realism. There's not enough of that in the world. Um, yes. So, yeah, I, I can see why this is one of your favorite stories of all time. Um, yeah, I, I really want it to keep going. I really want to know more. I really want to see more. Um, mm. And if I have to go read instead of watching it, I'll be bummed out. <laughs> <laughs> you should go read it anyway, you Jack. <laughs> I guess. Um, so I'll read it before season it's... two if you read Foundation before season two. So. All right, deal. <laughs> you have a lot more to read. I than do I have do. a lot. I'm giving myself a lot more work than I'm giving you. Foundation is really yeah. short. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say this: they can do this. They can do the entire story. Um, in four seasons, I think three if they're willing to make uh, do some disservice <laughs> and drop yeah. some stuff. Uh, but the thing is, okay, so the thing we just watched, episode eleven, Dream of a Thousand Head and Calliope, right? It is half of the third arc, uh, in, in which there are four standalone stories. Okay, the arc is called Dream Country, and there's two more stories in it. it Every single one or two, like actual story arc that follows a single story, there there is an arc or two that is a collection of small stories like this. So that's why everybody. Th- that's part of the reason everybody thinks Sandman is unadaptable <laughs> to <laughs> comics or movies. Um, so before these dropped, I would have suggested like I, what I was going to do at the end of this episode was suggest they do something like the Animatrix to adapt things like the standalone stories, you know? And the boys, the boys is getting something similar as well. And now we're getting Star Wars Vision. So it's a lot more common these days. Like right, yeah. I was saying, animated, less budget necessary to, for the standalone thing. Clearly, that's not what they, they want to do. So that they're actually making their own like, their life more difficult. I, I like it. I like, you know, like, obviously, I much rather see it in live action with the full special effects. But... Uh, I like that they were uh, willing to go the animation route with the Dream of a Thousand Cats just because it was daring to do something a little different, you know? Yeah. There was, they didn't need to adapt that story, but they yeah. did it anyway, and they did it in a way that sur- suits the story. Like, you can't do that in yeah. live action with cats. CG cats would look yeah. terrible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have the movie Cats. Exactly. We don't we don't need nightmares. <laughs> I want more right. horror in the show, but not that kind of horror. <laughs> right. I, I think the next season is going to be easy to adapt because they're going I imagine they're going to do they already set up the next story arc called Season of Miss. And I think they're gonna do that and a game of you, which is the two story arcs. Um and they can even mix and stretch it out to a way that um so it doesn't feel disjointed like the season did. I think that would be pretty easy. But going forward from that is going to be pretty hard because 
going from that, there is like a series of seven uh, standalone stories and then a little story arc and then a series of five standalone stories and then about 12 volume story arc that wrap everything up and an epilogue. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> so fi- sorting that out into two seasons is going to be really difficult, I think. So I'm right. very curious to see how they can do it. Um, and if people enjoy Salmon, there is uh, they are they re- have re- re-released all 75 issues in four volumes that are really good price. Um, I think it's only the first one is only like thirty dollars US. Um, the rest is a little bit more expensive because they always make the first volume cheaper. Yeah, go check it out. It's like, you know, it's it's. I guess it's not super cheap when you have to spend like $135, $140 for, to get the whole thing. But it's 75 issues of comics. It's, uh, yeah, people should go read it. And um, the first volume will cover everything the show has covered and a little bit more. Well, I learned my lesson from Akira. I'll just get it at the library. Ah, yes. Well, that's that's how I read it when I first read it. And then later, when I revisited it, I may have taken to the high sea. And <laughs> then I bought myself the annotated Sandman, which is Sandman with its A3 size. Each book is weighed about five kilo. And it's Sandman in black and white to keep the price down with all the annotations and history lessons uh, and direct um, uh, manuscripts from Neil Gaiman. But that's the only physical volume I have, and it's in black and white. So I, what I, I have actually gone out and bought color version of Sandman this weekend to reread again. <laughs> See, this is why he got a job, so he can buy more books. <laughs> yes, and you should go out and do that too. And if you enjoyed our coverage of Sandman, I hope you will stick around with us as we cover more TV shows. And I hope you leave us a five-star review in the app of your choice because it always helps people discover our podcast. It really does. I know podcasters always say that, but it really, really does help. (laughs) Yeah, especially for little podcasts like us. It is a great help because we we do not have like a Twitter fan base to advertise to. So please. And so what are we doing next week, Eric? Well, I wanted to talk about Prey, the movie Mm -hmm. Prey. Um, Mm -hmm. Um, We both enjoyed it and we'll talk about it. And maybe Umbrella Academy season three. Yeah, I was thinking we could do like not the whole season, but like we could do it in blocks again. Um, yep. Yeah. And also, and also the new two new big series are starting uh, Game of Thrones, House of Dragons and Lord of the Ring, the Rings of Power. We will <laughs> tackle them at some point because come on, that's our wheelhouse. Why wouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> so I hope you stay subscribed and I hope you guys come check back in whenever. Um, well, I hope you guys come check in every episode, really. (laughs) (laughs) So, until then, I've been Lynn. I've been Eric. And this has been The Streaming Heat. Life is but a stream. Stop putting weird stuff I say before this out of the box. I only did it once. It was fun. (laughs) (laughs) I won't do it this time. You're going to do it to this, isn't it? (laughs) 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 I I can promise it won't be at the beginning.